The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Finnegan from the Five of Five is back with us and joined by Sarah McGuinness, Deputy News Editor of the Business Post for the week trending. We had extensive budget coverage on Tuesday, but there's a little side story which has picked up a bit of momentum during the week. Just before the Finance Minister, Michael McGrath, delivered his budget on Tuesday, there were a number of politicians on RTE television in the build-up. And this happened just a couple of minutes before Michael McGrath began to speak. And it was something I watched on the day, and it certainly caught my ear at the time. If you haven't heard what happened between the Fine Gael TD and Minister of State, Jennifer Carl McNeil, and the Sinn Féin TD, Podrick McLaughlin, well, here's it now. Should there be an increase in the bank eleven? Well, let's see what Mr. Minister McGrath does in the Ooh, budget that speech. That's not a no, is let's it? Let's see what Minister McGrath does in the budget speech. But I think if you look at our tax changes, where the people who have really benefited are those people who have been less than forty-five thousand euros. Now, if you think that's upper income, then well, that's that's a matter for yourselves. We have the most progressive tax system in the OECD, and we maintain that, and we do that as a matter of fairness. So our emphasis is on reducing tax for people who are working. We try to increase the working family payments. We try and target our resources specifically at those people who are earning less than fifty thousand euros. Whether they have a family or not because those are the people who are working, they're not entitled to other supports and they're not getting money back in any other ways. That's why tax changes at that level is so very 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 important. And I can show you all of the figures, Pork, if you need me to take you through it to show you where that benefits the most. And don't worry I can do that when the budget I, 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 I'm sure Pierce Doherty will look forward to debating me after this budget not a problem. I'm sure he'll look forward to putting manners on you in terms Pork. of... Okay, putting manners on her and then how has she reacted to that, Ben? Well, she has put a complaint into the Sinn Féin leader, uh, Mary Lou MacDonald, saying that the uh, comments were misplaced and misogynistic. And she also kind of pointed to the fact that there's very few women in elected office and should language like this be allowed to happen when we're trying to get more women into elected office with gender quotas and stuff like that. Now, she did try to defend herself as well, saying that this wasn't an attack on Sinn Féin. She said that she had a great working relationship with other Sinn Féin TDs. She named Brian Stanley and Pa Daly from Kerry as well. Um, but I don't, I don't know, Sarah, like, was it misogynistic, do you think? Oh, yeah, like, I'm not trying to make a big deal out of it, but the term put manners, I've never, well, I've never come across that in used in the doll before. People on Twitter kind of in defence of Sinn Féin said oh Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have said that to Sinn Féin before but I have never heard that. I think it's very strong language and I I do think you know like you you have to watch your words when you're in a professional environment and that so easily could be construed in a misogynistic way particularly for like a young ambitious woman coming up like she's moving very efficiently through Fine Gael you know like this like I, I, I thought it was terrible um, and I think if I were Mary Lou I'd be absolutely fuming like Mary Lou in the past week has well not even in the past week beyond the past week has making efforts to make herself election ready to kind of put a bit of order on Sinn Féin to make them seem a bit more polished that was seen this week in the kind of condemning of the um situation in Gaza and Israel you know she condemned it outright and people were kind of pointed to that as her trying to get her par- trying to get her party on the straight and narrow another example of it um so I, I doubt Mary Lou would be happy about it I think we also need to remember that Jennifer Carl McNeil has not had the easiest ride as a female politician that she there was someone um, found guilty of sexual harassment um of her last year so like I I thought it was a terrible move and really not a good look for Sinn Féin like the, the Fine Gael press office came out afterwards saying that it was menacing 
which I kind of thought maybe that's a bit too much. I think that is a bit too much. I don't think it was an attack on her character or a threat to her. Misplaced, I think, is a grand categorisation of it. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, Ben, a Sinn Féin spokesperson is quoted in the Irish Times as saying... Padre McLaughlin was clearly referring to the Fine Gael party and not any individual, as he made clear during the broadcast. Now, he might have tried to make that clear subsequently, but at the time he said it, I, when I was watching it, I would have taken it that he was very specifically referring to her. Maybe, yeah. Um, to be honest, that, like I've read a lot about this story. That was the, because I was dealing with my own budget day woes that day. But uh, that was the first time that I'd heard it. Um, yeah, it was quite pointed. But, you know, you could easily argue, did he say, put manner on you or ye? You know, that's kind of open said to you. Well, you. <laughs> okay. You plural. <laughs> we just heard it, Ben. No, I know, I know. But, like, I'm just saying that it could be argued that he made... The collective view, I don't know, the royal we, is that what we're getting into now, you know? Okay, let's move on. And, uh, oh, sorry, I saw another listener says he said manners on ye. Okay, but I certainly took it as that he was looking directly at her and was meaning her. But if he says he wasn't, maybe he'll apologise further for it. Mary Mary Lou MacDonald will take it up. Now... Tell us about this thing, dodgy boxes in pubs, Ben, because I see there's been an outcome this afternoon in the courts um, in relation to a particular case, separate to the one that we heard of this week in Kerry, where they were using dodgy boxes to show matches. Yeah, well, that one in Kerry, the dodgy box, they were ordered to pay €20,000 to Sky because they were uh, showing Premier League games without paying any money to Sky. I think this is something that's going to pique a lot of people's interests. I think a lot of people around the country, they may not admit it publicly, but they have dodgy boxes. Everyone, I think, by the sounds of it, has some sort of an access to dodgy boxes. There's even pubs in Dublin that I go into that they're clearly using dodgy boxes. But like when you look at the figures of this, the, like, the company wrote telling them to cease and desist. They'd failed to do so. Some... €50,000 in fees were due to Sky. This was over a five-year period. €10,000 a year for a, a pub in Lixnaw in Kerry. It seems a bit excessive. I don't know what their turnover is. We didn't hear about that in court. But it does seem a lot for a rural pub to try and afford. And if people can try and get around it, people are going to get around it. And, you know, one of the first... Examples of a dodgy box being used, I believe, was in 1999 in Ireland when there was an issue with uh, Ireland playing away in Turkey and RTE had a, had a dispute with the Turkish broadcaster. Irish pubs still found a way to broadcast the game in Turkish. I remember being in one where I watched the game on that particular <laughs> did night. You, did you pay a fee? No. <laughs> anyway, uh, I see actually what the report in the Irish Examiner has come up in the last few moments is about a county Meath man who set up two companies to provide illegal access to television content has avoided a jail term. Uh, so that, that's a separate story, which would suggest there is a major push against this type of activity. But I suppose the pubs need the business, don't they? Uh, they need people to come in and see matches. Ben, I know you're from rural Ireland, but they mm. do find it very expensive to get the people, you know, to get the services in, to justify actually paying the full price for it. And it seems as if they're just sending people into the pub as a, as a customer and looking to see if on the corner of the screen they have the little pint glass or not, and they're taking note of it and they're building a case that way. Like, you know, I think a very 
easy solution to that is to go in, say, hey, I, I see you don't have the pint glass in the corner, that's illegal. Um, let's not escalate this into court because they had eight different examples in that Kerry case where they hadn't paid their, their fees, which, you know, rural pubs, they are struggling and people don't have the money to pay for Sky. So where's the, where's, where's the go-between here? Like this pub in okay. particular has been described as a small premises, one television and one staff member. That, I just think it's a bit obscene, you know, like it, surely, like me and Ben were just talking about it off air, surely the onus should be on broadcast providers, like there was a good explainer in the examiner kind of going through dodgy boxes and the whole kind of legal grey area surrounding them and the hypothesis that was kind of being proposed is that the onus should be on broadcast broadcast providers to kind of cut off service to areas where they suspect that there might be a dodgy box in use like I don't think, there's 200,000 people using these boxes in Ireland, I really don't think they're going to be able to catch fine or jail all of them and even if they do I don't think it will stop people and it's a case as well that the, the, the closer the guardie or law enforcement get to these people operating and using the dodgy boxes the technology will get even further away from them Okay, tell us please Sarah about Sky News a separate division of Sky which is owned by Comcast how it decided to abruptly shift from covering the Israeli offensive on Gaza to what it regarded as important breaking news, but didn't just actually even go back to the studio in London, decided to do it from Israel. It was, as many people have observed on Twitter, it was kind of like this dystopian black mirror scene. Um, So Mark Austin was on the ground in Jerusalem providing the latest on what was going on there. In the background, you can see the kind of Jerusalem skyline in the like all the lights of the city and um you know it was pitch black and he his first thing was kind of but more on that later or something equally as dismissive kind of like we'll move on to something else now and from Israel Mark Austin broke the news that Holly Willoughby was going to stand down from this morning after 14 years and kind of in a very bizarre way, said, and we'll go live to our studio now where some entertainment correspondent was there to fill in what had happened. But it was absolutely ridiculous. And I think, I don't know, it's bad enough that they did that live on air. You know, they very easily could have said back to studio and have given the update from there, but they didn't, bizarrely. I don't know why. But then they put it on social media and it's still there and it's been viewed 1.7 million times. And a lot of the comments underneath the video are making the point that, is this the British media's priority? You know, there is literally, arguably genocide going on and their breaking news is that Holly Willoughby is standing down from her role like this morning themselves didn't even make a big as deal of it as they did they just had this ridiculous montage opening up the show uh, but you have to wonder was there nobody available in Sky News's London studios or wherever they're based because like every night that you could watch the BBC News at 10 they will start with Clive Meary or whoever in Jerusalem um t- outlining what happened in Gaza and Israel today and then they'll say we'll return to the studio in London and then they start with the domestic news. Like that's the point I think everyone was making. It was just extremely tactless for like Mark Austin on the ground to be 
delivering this really trivial update yeah. that ultimately but it got knows. the clicks for them then didn't it and that seems to be what an awful lot of modern media is about getting the clicks oh I know but I've, I feel like when something like this is concerned maybe it's just my journalistic integrity coming to the fore here but I think it was it was bizarre it was so bizarre if they were at like the cop conference or something like that fine but there are people dying <laughs> you know let's <laughs> yeah. not let's not trivialise that yeah, absolutely. Ben Finnegan, Sarah McGuinness, stay with us. We'll have more on the week trending when we come back. Ben Finnegan and Sarah McGuinness with us for the week trending. So, Sarah, what's this idea about so-called ultra-processed foods been labelled as addictive because they can have the same effect as drugs? Yeah, Matt. So, basically, researchers from kind of all around the world, it's a global study, it's not really specific to Ireland, have suggested that one in seven adults and one in eight children could be hooked up, uh, like could be hooked on, should I say, ultra-processed foods, which are basically extremely high in fat and carbohydrates. And they're saying that they meet the criteria for diagnosis of a substance abuse disorder, similar to kind of alcohol or drugs. And like with that comes intense cravings and symptoms of withdrawals. Um, So it is a bit wild. They didn't really give any specific examples um, apart from that kind of high carbohydrate and fats um, descriptor. But um, yeah, like they're kind of like the question is being raised, should foods be labelled as addictive so people know what they're getting themselves into? I don't know if I buy it. I'm kind of like those like grizzly pictures are on the front of smoking packets and people still smoke I don't think people will care but I think with the cigarettes anyway they've gone to the plain packaging which you know the companies aren't allowed to advertise we're trying to get the these labels in on alcohol but we'll see if that actually happens but I hate to I hate to sound you know PC madness and all that but like at what stage does if we do put the warnings on are, are you then going to get rid of the bright coloured packaging and is it going to be eventually a step towards like cigarette packaging for these high uh, high in fat high in carb- carbohydrates ultra processed foods like you know for a lot of people for these ultra processed foods the reason why they eat them in the first place is they're affordable and a lot of people can't afford to go into the shop and buy a week's worth of fruit and veg. They'd be just able to go and buy these ultra processed foods which are dirt cheap and yes they contain dirt, but they're able to survive and they're able to eat and they're able to feed their children. Let's move on to the issue of funerals without priests, funerals in the Catholic Church. I wonder how that upsetting, Ben, that might be to many people if they were to feel that their, their final ceremony and their exit out of this life is not going to be conducted by a priest in the future. Yeah, I know for my own uh, grandmother who passed away a couple of years ago, it would have been very important for her that it was a priest, and it was a priest. Um, I don't think there's a... I think there's a generation coming that it won't really matter too much to them. Um, There is, in Dublin, you know, they're training... They're introducing training programmes for lay parishioners to try and ease the burden on overworked priests by taking on the funeral rites. And it's also happening in and down. Um, But... You know, it all kind of comes back to the, the modernization of the church. If the church decided to allow women be priests or, or, or married people be priests, would they be in this predicament right now? They're hell-bent on single men being priests and it's clear that they're just not coming through. Sarah? 
Yeah, no, I would agree with that as well. Like, I, I think that obviously it is going to be quite upsetting for a cohort of people, but I think maybe like in 20 years down the line, the amount of people who will be like most affected by this, like will not mind as much. Like the priest fleet obviously is declining. It's aging. It's unfortunate. Um, but like also at the same time, like as, as Ben rightly pointed out, you know, like they're not like... There's been very little movement with the times in Ireland. And I feel like, you know, like this might feel like a concession for the church, but it's kind of like, well, concessions could have been made earlier. And I also, there's an, there's an element to me that, that kind of feels like, the, like it was this, this came from the Association of Catholic Priests. I feel like it was unnecessary for them to say it because, you know, all you're going to do is uh, antagonize and fear the people who this would fear, the people that it matters to. You know, like, I don't think there was much uh, need to say this because it is kind of fear-mongering for those people. Well, it does strike me that one of the things that I've noticed at many funerals over the years is how often the priests deliver eulogies and they clearly haven't an iota about the person that they're talking about and it's sort of almost standard mm. single transferable speech that they will be making which in some respects I think has almost been insulting to the person who's died and to the families around the place but I can also see where there would be some people, even in younger generations, who might be upset at the idea of what's supposed to be a sacrament, a ritual uh, as you move from this life into an afterlife, if that's what you believe in, is somehow not going to be fulfilled because of an absence of a priest to actually do it. So it is an interesting point that you make, Ben, as to whether they actually just need to change who is eligible to become a priest to actually but, to administer that particular sacrifice. But, uh, but just quickly on that as well, like a lay person who is trained to do it, be it a woman or whatever, what's the difference between them giving the sacrament and a priest? They're going to give it the same meaning, the, the same meaning will be derived from it, it just won't be somebody in a collar. But also, could it be that now maybe I'm reading into it too much but like people can get ordained to marry people could it be that the Catholic Church could roll out a kind of priest maybe just a one-off thing I'd love to be sent off by one of my pals if I had the option yeah I'd love to be sent off by someone who loves me you know so but that's obviously my personal preference but I'm just thinking is there a way around it I'll contact the priest association I'll, I'll run that by them Okay, let's get to some other things. Uh, Ireland has the fifth most roundabouts in the world, <laughs> per capita, apparently. So, Sarah, does this help people with their driving? Maz, I don't drive. I'm not going to lie. Me and Ben were talking about this off air. I have a notion. It's kind of fun to go around, like, wee, going around the roundabout. But I'm going to have to pass this one on to Ben because I really have no experience. I love this. <laughs> I love the fact that we love roundabouts. Uh, we're the fifth most per capita in the world uh, behind Iceland, Norway, Portugal and France. And if there's, like, there's certain towns, Matt, that you go around uh, around the country. I believe Clonmel has over 30 roundabouts around the town. <laughs> Longford has around 10 or 15. If you ever drive from uh, Dublin to Castlebar, you can get lost on roundabouts in Longford. Then a couple of years ago, Galway just decided, do you know what? We've had enough of roundabouts. They 
got rid of them all. We were obsessed with roundabouts. I think part of the reason why Europeans are so obsessed with roundabouts is because the Yanks don't get them. And we just like to see them come, come here, drive around, and just drive around the roundabout for a couple of hours trying to find their way off it. But Ben, there's a certain logic to roundabouts, which some people is. say is lost in Ireland when you put traffic lights on them. Because you then create a situation where people are sitting waiting in traffic lights while there might be no traffic on the roundabout causing delays. Well, now, there is certain situations like a big, big, big roundabout that you would need lights because the, tra the oncoming traffic never stops. Like, there's a few there around uh, the M50. And, like, exactly, you're, yeah. you're never going to get on the roundabout otherwise. But then you look at a roundabout like the Walkenstown roundabout. Terrifying to a lot of people. It's, it's, it's like an amusement park for me. <laughs> I love nothing more than getting in the car and driving around the Walkerstown roundabout for a couple of hours. Get a life, Ben. Another listener says, whatever about number five in the world for roundabouts, we're number one in the world for idiots who think it's correct to stay in the middle line, lane or outside lane when they're not overtaking, says Kevin in the van. And another one wants to know where we rank when it comes to speed ramps. Unreal amount in towns mm. around the country. Yeah. That that is yeah. We should put in a roundabout instead of the ramp. <laughs> more okay, roundabout. One final one, a more a more serious one, perhaps to finish. The safety of our politicians, because a lot of commentary this week about the guy who got on the stage in the Labour Party conference in England and sprayed glitter all over Keir Starmer, but also an individual somehow got into government buildings on Budget Day and was found roaming around going looking for Leo Varadkar to have a word with him. Mm. Now, is that something that should be actually a cause for concern, Ben? It should. Now, we should be aware as well that there's open court proceedings against this man. He's due to appear in the new year as well at Dublin District Court. You know, the last couple of weeks, you know, there has been um, the heightened security. We saw, we saw those uh, huge barriers around um, around Leinster House on Budget Day and there was something like 200 Gardaí around. Drew Harris was even on Molesworth Street in the lead up to the budget. But politicians are worried and we've, we've, we've heard the evidence from politicians over the past couple of months that they are fearing for their safety. Now, there is an argument that their decisions affect people's lives and it upsets them so much that they may feel the need to confront them. Now, whether you agree with that or not, I think in this situation, a man appearing at government buildings in this situation, not breaking into government buildings, but appearing at government buildings would be better than appearing at the Overadker's house. Indeed. Although it is amazing that this happened, isn't it, when you consider the amount of security that was at uh, the Doyle and government buildings for Budget Day. Yeah, there was about 200 Gardaí outside Leinster House the morning of, um, and as um, ben said Drew Harris was spotted around Leinster House kind of inspecting the operation, making sure that it was all on in hand. And up until... And, sorry, and found a group of Gardaí having a cup of coffee, apparently, <laughs> when they might have been out on the street. <laughs> who knows what that... What, who knows? We can't say for certain. But it was all going swimmingly. It was There wasn't really a peep until about 7pm when this incident occurred. But I think that we kind of can't really forget about the scenes that were outside the doll the other day. There, That was quite scary. Um, like for Leo Varadkar's head was put on a gallow, you know, like it's... I think we do have to take it a bit more seriously in light of that um, 
And I suppose I, I can't think of a, an occasion where something like this has happened in the recent past. Um, and there's been plenty of, I suppose, opportunity for outrage then. So there does seem to be t- a bit of a turn taken. It's kind of in line with this like extreme protest kind of wave. That's But then as well, you know, you can go on YouTube and you can watch... You know, you can call them idiots if you want, but they break into, like, football stadiums or something like that, or they can break into, you know, parliament buildings and they do it for a video. They're not a threat to anybody, but they're doing it for views and they're doing it for a laugh. I think it is interesting to note, though, that this was about... It wasn't even about anything to do with the budget. It's to do with the comment that was made six years ago um, in where Leo Varadkar allegedly... I don't, I I'm saying he allegedly. allegedly. He, he didn't did allegedly. say it. Okay, well, he... Welfare uh, cheats you, cheat us all. Yes, yeah, okay. I haven't seen that myself. So I wasn't sure how concrete okay. that well, was. Look, we, 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 leave, we leave the courts to decide it all. Listen, we've got to finish with that. Sarah McGuinness from the Business Post. Ben Finnegan, who, of course, is our daily 5 at 5 and 6 at 6 newsreader. Thank you both for being with us. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.